0: Welcome to episode sixty-nine of the Route, presented by Jobs in Sports. The Route is a glorified sports business coffee chat. As a new guest every episode, as they share their experiences and route in sports. I'm Chris and Let's get started. So, on today's podcast episode, we have a, a pretty cool guest, another person uh, in the hockey space, but before we get to their to their route, uh, two things to cover as usual. First off, if you haven't already, follow the podcast um, on Apple, Spotify, etc., whatever you listen on, we're on all those, and we're also on YouTube now, especially with this video if you're watching it, so subscribe to our YouTube channel at White Whale Marketing, and additionally, follow us on social media at the route sports. But with that said, let's get to uh today's guest. So today's guest is Kevin Tanzi. And let's just do a quick introduction. So I'd now like to welcome someone who's still playing professional hockey while also being a chief brand officer at Impactive Cannabis. Kevin Tanzi, welcome to the route. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. For sure, yeah. No, thanks for coming on this morning. So the way I kind of enjoy, let's say, beginning every episode with a guest is just take us through your route. So where did it begin and how did we get here today?
1: All right. So my route, uh, my route's had some pretty crazy twists and turns, I guess you could say. Um, I guess uh, it started off, you know, I, uh, I was sort of the, the first athlete in my family. My, uh, my dad and my brother played hockey and, you know, sports growing up but nothing at too high of a competitive level. Um, so, you know, I, I went the same route as most guys who play uh, professional hockey these days. Started off in AAA, uh, ended up getting drafted to the Ottawa Junior A League, played for the Cumberland Grads for two seasons. Uh, and then from there, um, I was offered a scholarship to Clarkson University. Uh, obviously, I, I was excited about that. Um, I knew that, in, that schooling was important. Uh, I wanted a backup plan just in case, you know, obviously something didn't work out. You get injured or something. But uh, so I went to Clarkson. I spent five years there. I redshirted one year because of injury. And um, after that, you know, I uh, became a pro hockey player. I started off in the American League, jumped between the ECHL and the American League. And now, uh, now I'm overseas. I'm going into my sixth year pro and third year in Europe. I'll be mm-hmm. playing Slovakia this year for the Kosice uh, team, and I'm uh, I'm excited to get over there for sure. You know, it's uh, it was a stressful year last year, having um, not uh, not too many fans in the stands. I don't think, I don't think I played a single game in front of fans last year, so that was uh, that was a little bit tough. But uh, next year we're uh, we're gonna have fans again, so excited to get back into it for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure, that sounds unreal, and um we're gonna get into all that but just kind of going back to the beginning you're talking about you know your time with you know junior a and then whilst in junior a you you kind of got that scholarship to to clarkton which you're excited about do you mind maybe sharing what what's that process like right because not everyone gets to go through that where they get you know a high a high-end school kind of recruiting them so how did that process go about was there multiple schools involved what was that like
1: yeah so Um, first of all, my parents were huge in the process, um, obviously driving me everywhere, every single game practice and all that growing up. Um, can't thank them enough for all the stuff Mm -hmm. that they did for me through that. Um, and what they're also big in was introducing me to NCAA because of all the, uh, in my opinion, kind of crazy and not very smart rules that the NCAA has, Mm -hmm. um, of, of talking to athletes at a certain age. Uh, they they were great at bringing me to schools and sort of getting my name out there. Uh, you know, the, the OHL is big and shiny to every kid who's ever played hockey in Ontario. That's the first thing you see, you know, your hometown team. Uh, and I was drafted to the OHL. I wasn't drafted. I think I was drafted in the eighth round. So nothing too high, but mm-hmm. still, still on the radar. For sure. uh, so when that happens, you get drafted at 16 or 15 and you go into your 16 year old year. You kind of get put onto radar as well when you get drafted to NCAA schools. Um, so what we were doing is we were contacting schools. My parents were really leading it. I also had a family advisor at the time, and I uh, I think I probably visited five or six schools um, before committing. Uh, my 16 year old year, I tried to to kind of go to as many schools as I could, as well as when I was 15, in you know on weekends and time off, just whenever we could, and then. I think I think it was near the end of my 16 year my my first year juniors, I uh, I got my first scholarship to Clarkson and Mm -hmm. Clarkson is a school that's you know it's two and a half hours from Ottawa. Uh, It seemed like a great fit at the time. Still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in terms of life after hockey. Mm -hmm. Still not really sure. You know I started a CBD company, so getting that (laughs) in the way, but. uh, you know, it's one of those things where in my mind, I'm always just kind of keeping options open Mm -hmm. and, you know, with the guidance of my parents, that definitely seemed like the best option in terms of keeping your options open, because I'd have that to fall back on. Mm -hmm. So because the schools couldn't contact us, like I said, we were going and visiting and talking to teams, seeing, you know, where I might fit in on teams. And then, you know, when Clarkson finally offered me a scholarship, I, uh, Said yeah, and I was just happy with having a place to go. You know, I I knew <laughs> where my next step was in hockey, and uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was really exciting the day that I committed for sure.
0: Yeah, I know for sure, and that that process as a whole right whether it's just you know you're saying how you know you get drafted to the OHL, then you kind of get on the radar, then you're trying to like yeah. almost kind of play both sides right to have all options open, right? Where you know that definitely must be an exciting time, but also maybe a little. Uh, daunting I guess you can say right especially if you know like even most kids right you're, you're coming out of high school and let's say you're going trained to, to university and you need to pick like a major right maybe you're thinking about going juniors but then they're like oh no I'm gonna go the scholarship route okay what's your major right so that, that's that's another big question so that's for sure interesting um was there anything more to that in regards to you know you're you're mentioning the OHL was it really just hey keeps options open after hockey or was it just no, this is just a better fit. I have a better chance of playing as well.
1: It was it was tough for me uh, mm-hmm. to turn down the OHL because like I said, you know, I, I grew up watching the Ottawa 67s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was it was the the I guess the senators were were great hockey too, but it was it was sort of closer to me. You mm-hmm. know, I would know a couple guys who would get drafted, and I was getting to that age where it was like, Oh my god, like I might get drafted to the OHL. Mm-hmm. And then when I when I did get drafted, I went to I was drafted by the Plymouth Whalers. Mm-hmm. And it was Tyler Seguin's team at the time, so I was going into rookie camp, and Tyler Seguin was there, and he was supposed to be, you know, like well, I mean, he did go second overall, but he had that reputation coming in too. So it was a little bit of being starstruck at the same time. You know, it's the first step of realizing, wow, this might be a career for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went into rookie camp, and I actually, I think, I was like second top, first or second top scoring defense in the rookie camp. As an eighth round eighth rounder and i turned some heads for sure Mm -hmm. um offered me they offered me a spot on the team as a 16 year old but it was very much like you know we'll give you a shot you might be the sixth seventh defenseman you might be jumping down between the junior b team and ohl and it, it wasn't wasn't really enough for me to shut the door completely on the ncaa route um so you know i decided it's it's not going to hurt me to play one year of junior a and keep my eligibility open um you know th- there was definitely times where i thought that of switching even when i was in college you know it was you know slumps happen and you have these options open i went mm-hmm. to clarkson as a true freshman so while i was in college i was uh, 18 years old for my first year and i could have gone and played in the ohl for two years while i was at clarkson but um, you know, I decided to stick to it uh, through through sort of the ups and downs of, you know, just one of those things where in school you can't ask for a trade if, you know, something's going wrong or anything like that. You know, there's growing pains. Um, another big decision of mine to go and wait another year was I switched to being a defenseman the year before my OHL draft. I was a forward before that and I just thought that you know, with the rule changes that just come in about the hooking and clutching and grabbing and stuff, um, it might be bad- better for me to be a defenseman. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out for sure, but I just wanted that extra couple of years to sort of develop. And I think it's uh, it's it's shown that it's uh, been beneficial to me for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then one of those
0: things I kind of want to touch on, because it's just like an interesting predicament in the sense of, you know, let's say it's in regards to picking between ncaa school or even a uh, like a junior team right do you do you think like did you first off or do you even think current players or stuff like that in that situation do you think they look at you know who's on the team right let's say there's a top draft choice or there's a you know a top end recruit going to a specific school do you think the the thought process is hey if if they're there i'm in the same camp on on the same shoe ice as them I have a higher chance of kind of getting recruited because you know scouts are are not recruited but drafted to or seen by professional teams one day because you know eyes are on this guy and if more people more eyes that are coming to watch our team play then I have a higher likelihood of you know catching some scouts eye and maybe getting uh, a contract from it one day.
1: Yeah absolutely there's that effect I mean there's so many different aspects of what you can weigh I mean I I don't think Either option is a bad option, and I don't necessarily think either option is the overall best option. Mm -hmm. I think it's very much a whichever fits to your lifestyle and what you want better. Um, I was, uh, you know, I had, I think it was like an 85, 86 average in high school. So, you know, I was, I was, you know, school came fairly easily to me. Mm -hmm. So I went that route. Um, You know, like I said, Tyler Sagan was on the OHL team, but at the same time, Plymouth was... 10 or 12 hours away from home and as a 16 year old going away like that you know that's a big decision um versus clarkson which i could play junior a in a literally a rink that's 15 minutes from my house um versus going to play 12 hours away Mm -hmm. yeah there is that top prospect thing for sure um but at the same time having a top prospect on your team doesn't always mean that you'll get noticed because mm-hmm. if you're having a top prospect on your team, there's usually a couple more top prospects and that might knock you down lower on the depth chart. So right. my rule of thumb was sort of, I guess, you know, if it was a team like the London Knights that had drafted me, mm-hmm. there's probably no doubt that I would have gone to the OHL, just, you know, a big team like that, that shows such a good turnover rate to go in pro. Um, they're really just an incredible organization, really. But um, because it was so far and also, you know, in a foreign country at 16 years old i just wasn't i wasn't prepared for that Mm -hmm. um but you know i think that at this point i think that when i was in school the the difference between the chl and college was a lot bigger Mm -hmm. um i don't think that difference is as large now there's a lot more guys going to play in in ncaa than there used to be uh and i think like it's it's crazy what you (laughs) see these young guys coming into now what they can do they can like They they can use a hockey stick like a lacrosse stick like it doesn't make sense. I think there's top prospects everywhere now, and um, you know I I, I'm I'm a true believer that if you're good enough and you work hard enough, you'll you'll make it regardless. You know, obviously there's the the injuries, and you have to get a little bit lucky too. But um, you know, put your head down and go to work, and good things will happen for you.
0: For sure, and you know I I do want to touch on you know your professional career and also your, your your current position with the CBD company. But the one last question I have in regards to all of this is, um, you know, you're talking about the difference between CHL and NCAA, right? You know, maybe 10 years ago, there's probably more significant difference where more of the top end talent was going, you know, the junior route. But, you know, more recently, right, especially in the drafts, you're seeing top end guys coming out of school. And I think, what was it? Was it on Canada Day maybe, where the NCAA changed the rules for um, athletes or student athletes? Do you think that's going to have a bigger shift for maybe in – Twenty thirty, there's going to be better hockey
1: talent coming to the NCAA than there is in juniors. I, I don't know if it's going to have as big of an effect in in hockey as it mm-hmm. will basketball and football because those are those are really the the big money teams. You know, maybe the guys who are in North Dakota or Minnesota or you know the those five yeah. or super huge hockey schools that are always good. Those guys might have it. I think it'll definitely it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens in, in the NCAA. Those guys are going to be making millions of dollars when they're freshmen. Um, but in hockey, it'll definitely make it a little bit more, a little bit more attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, what was attractive was uh, the, 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 how it was sure in, in college, you know, I was, I committed and they said, if you sign this I guarantee, if, you know, you get hurt or something happens, you have four years of paid education mm-hmm. um, whereas the OHL is very much a next man up and, you know, guys are, can go there and play two, three games and try and, you know, they, they just get nervous and don't have a good two, three games. And then basically you, you cancel your eligibility for NCAA and then you're left playing, you know, junior B grinding as a 20 year old. And then that route becomes a lot tougher to, uh, to sort of get through um than a clearer path. And for a situation like mine, I was actually that did happen to me. Um and this sort of transitions into why I started my C B D company as well. Um so I've like through my career I've uh, I've had some pretty substantial injuries. Um so I've I'm close to you know a hundred stitches. I've dislocated wow. about I Think I have like 22 combined shoulder dislocations, thumb dislocations, a couple of surgeries. I've broken about 10 or 12 bones, and uh, had you know two, three concussions. Um, but so when I was in college, I had a great freshman year, uh, and I was getting looks from from NHL teams, going, to, getting invited to camps. And then in the summer, um, I had a really unfortunate event where it was it was a uh, very much a wrong time, wrong place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to my car actually on just a Tuesday night and I got I got jumped with some kind of blunt object um, I don't remember anything like basically two three weeks of my life was a blur uh, but the result of of that was um, I broke my shoulder mm-hmm. which resulted in the next 14 or 15 16 dislocations like I would literally just like reach for something and you know, like pop out like that yeah. um, broke three ribs had my skull cracked um you know it, it was it was quite significant and so that's why i redshirted one year and spent the whole year um, recovering from my injuries i didn't even go back to school for the first semester uh and so with that in college looking back now you know there's always there's always the mindset of oh should i've gone this route should i've gone that route? but you know, if you do that it just kind of torments yourself when you look back at it though and obviously Pine State is 2020. Mm-hmm. If this had happened while I was in the OHL, I'm not sure it would have been the same result, right? I would have mm-hmm. possibly been, you know, there's okay. Tansy's hurt. We got to fill this roster position. Whereas at Clarkson, you know, I was there, I was home for the first semester, and then, you know, I I went back to Clarkson with the intention of playing the next season, mm-hmm. and worked one on one with a trainer while the guys were on the ice. Like it was, I I built myself back up under them. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I grew a great relationship with my trainer at the time that I work with at uh, over those, uh, those years, Jamie Rodriguez, you know, helped me a crazy amount, um, basically get back to where I was. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that you got to weigh your options. In my opinion, NCAA is, is definitely a more safe route, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it might not be the best route for everybody.
0: No, no, that makes sense. And definitely a crazy route you've had early on and I'm sure still that you're going to fill us in on here, right? Where, man, like even just, you know, getting, getting jumped, right? Like who's going to, you know, plan for that, right? And how that would affect your, you know, your decision for hockey, right? And, you know, thankfully, you, you know, you made the safer option, I guess you, you were calling, but maybe it was the smarter option as well, right? Where it leads to, to more doors opening. And, you know, kind of with that as well, um, you know, you touched on your professional career off the top here a bit. Do you mind maybe taking us through that now, right? So let's say you finish your your degree at at Carl Clarkson or your five years at Clarkson. How did this come about now, right? With the ECHL and AHL teams and then eventually European clubs?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, there's obviously growing pains going through some stuff. I I was, uh, I was, uh, I, I, you know, like everybody is, uh, just a new new kid basically when it comes to pro hockey. And it's, uh, I was, I first signed my PTL with Binghamton. Uh, the Binghamton Senators are an American League team now. I think Binghamton is not the Senators anymore, but there's an American League yeah. team. Um, I played, I played twelve games, I think, and it was very much, it was very much a little bit of shell shock for me because, in where I played college, my job was basically, you know, I was I was six four, like or six three, six four, something like two hundred thirty five, two hundred forty pounds, and I was just, you know, I was just a fridge that basically blocked shots and killed people and chipped, chipped pucks off the glass mm-hmm. and i was really good at that yeah. um, but at the american league level that's just not bad. and i didn't realize that right away so i went into i went into binghamton i you know posted zero numbers i think i had one fight in um in 12 games and you know I was like minus one or minus two no no numbers all across the board and in my mind that was good but mm-hmm. in quality of it you know there, there's a there's a ton of good hockey players out there and you've got to fill those spots with good hockey players who can make plays and at that moment in the at the American League level I was not that type of player um so that was evident that I I needed some some time to grow um and you know you're you're young and I had been to NHL camps pretty much every single off season. and in my mind I was you know thinking a little bit like oh, screw this screw that um you know I'm better than this better than that but <laughs> It wasn't until you know i went down to the the east coast hockey league my actual first year pro um that i really got woken up i guess um as in you know like there's there's a lot of good hockey players out there it's it's a very very small sample size that make it to pro and then after that you gotta you know fight tooth and nail to get through um so how i started after binghamton is i signed a just a contract with the Kansas City Mavericks in the East Coast Hockey League. But with that, I got an invite to the St. Louis Blues Camp. Um, And I was definitely a little bit fortunate in terms of the St. Louis Blues Camp. Um, You know, I think I worked hard for that camp, but in terms of getting the playing time, it was the same year that the World Cup was, or whatever they called it, that year that they had Team North America. Um, It was that same year. So they had on, they had Pareko, Petrangelo, um and Gunnerson there might have been one more defense who were you know on the St. Louis Blues that weren't there for the first four or five weeks of camp mm-hmm. so i came in there and you know i i had you know i, I had a in my bonnet and i was uh, a little upset that i was going in there with just an east coast contract so i was i was trying to prove a point and i ended up playing very well um actually made it through the first two cuts of camp Got to play in, you know, an exhibition game, two exhibition games, one in Chicago on a Saturday night, which was definitely one of the coolest things of my hockey right. career. I uh, got to play against Patrick Kane, uh, Artemi Panarin, played against Seabrook, uh, Jordan Tutu, Corey Crawford. Like they, they had almost a loaded lineup. Um, and then from that camp, I was able to get a two-way contract with the Chicago Wolves, so their American League team. Mm-hmm. I stayed up for the first 15 or 20 games and then you know i got sent down and from there obviously again a little bit bitter but i hadn't realized that i needed to make plays i needed to become a better player so i got sent down to the coast where i was starting at the american league level and dropped down so obviously it was a little bit lower of a level and i came in and and really was was a good player in my first year in the coast uh made the all-star team as a rookie um, and then from there, that, that season wrapped up. I was sort of a yo-yo up and down mm-hmm. after that. Um, and then I played two years in Toledo, which is just the most insane place to play minor league hockey. That's On a Tuesday night, you have 9,000 fans. The wow. Toledo walleyes, it's, it's the, the most electric place to play minor league hockey, in my opinion. Um, it, it's really incredible. And I had a lot of fun there. A lot of good guys we um played my first year it was a you know okay year had a couple call-ups to the american league and then my second year in toledo third year pro i got a call up to stockton for about three months and i started there i was uh you know i was really hot in toledo started i had four points in four games and really was uh you know i was playing six defenseman minutes had four points in four games and then i was 25 at the time and sort of kind of at the age where you know you're not really a prospect anymore you're kind of becoming Mm -hmm. an old guy um and then my fifth game i didn't get a point and the sixth game i get scratched seventh game got scratched Eighth game got scratched and i was like okay like what do i got to do here to stay in Mm -hmm. uh and so you know i i got in got out got in got out and got sent back to toledo that's when i really decided to go to europe because Mm -hmm. at that point i was like okay what like it's it's a grind you play 72 games um you know especially in the coast you have to bust a lot the travel isn't exactly great in some areas sometimes the season um so that's when i was sort of you know realizing all right might, might be time to go to europe um mm-hmm. and in terms of my hockey career i think that's you know one of the best decisions i've made uh it, it's it's really been awesome just living in different cities and know, playing fifty less or not fifty less, but fifty games instead of seventy two. It's better on the body. Um you just get to live in Europe, right? Like I lived in I lived in Innsbruck, Austria and the Austrian Alps this past year. Like I woke up every single morning and stared at mountains. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um and you you just don't get that in most places in, in North America. So the trade is there's definitely things that are better in, in each place, but, um, you know, I'm ultimately very happy with uh, the decision to go overseas after a few years in North America.
0: Yeah, for sure. I can only imagine, right. Just in regards to like, even like putting hockey aside, just in regards to like life and, you know, experiencing, making the most of those chances. That's, uh, that's definitely something that's, that's worthwhile. Cause that's something I hope to do. Right. I, you know, I have this business here and hopefully we can continue growing where we're, you know one day I can kind of just go. It's all remote now, thankfully, because of COVID. Or thankfully, I don't know if I can say that, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? You, you got you got used to the process of being remote. Where, hey, maybe one day we can I can just go to Europe, right, for two months, and you know make connections there as well. Where that's what you get to do for a career, which is amazing. Um, and you kind of touched on it in the beginning, but we never really dived into it. Um, so how did the CBD company come about, right? How how did you get involved? How how is it going?
1: Yeah, so um, my CBD company, well, our CBD company, and with my partner, uh, Brett, um, he's, uh, he's been working in the CBD uh, industry for about three or four years now, mm-hmm. um, and I was working with him in a capacity that I was, you know, posting Tansy20 on my Instagram, and people would use the discount code, and they'd, you know, send me a couple of free CBD things here and there, um and then it kind of dried up for a little bit and i was wondering uh, i texted brett and i said you know like what's going on here and he told me that his partner basically thought that it was a get rich quick scheme he thought they were going to be millionaires after uh you know six months which it, it really isn't. <laughs> um, nothing is unless if you win the lottery yeah, yeah um but uh he he said that his partner just kind of bailed didn't have the money for it and i said well Check it out. Like I've got this idea. I've got some extra money here. Let's uh, let's attack it a little bit different of a way. We so obviously this started uh, March of last year. Uh, so it's been about a year and a half that we've uh, that we've been going on this. And I had been I was going into my fifth year pro, and you know with my experience for surgeries and injuries and all that kind of stuff. i I had really seen and had been given a couple of you know opioid things and stuff that i i you know they they sort of they they definitely numb the pain but you don't feel anything Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't and they don't really tell you as much what the long-term effects might be Mm -hmm. there's not as much of an education out there um and you know through my career i had seen guys fall victim to it uh you know getting prescribed stuff like uh you know just all these opioids that people get fall addicted to and they they definitely lead to harm in your in your life future on Mm -hmm. um because you know they'll give you a 30-day dose and then they just cut you off and you're just kind of like this stuff is addictive um so i said let's let's go after athletes everybody in the cbd market seemed to be you know casting that huge net and not really catching everybody or catching anybody and the way we looked at it is we'll, we'll just you know we'll we'll go after athletes obviously through my career i've learned to become or I've, I've become friends with a lot of different athletes from different sports and i was contacting these guys and seeing what they wanted to do and how they like to attack it so we wanted to attack athletes and basically push the opioid epidemic and with that we wanted to sort of I'm very aware that opioids do have a place in the world. There's some injuries where you know it's it's necessary to have these these you know things that you know might have problems down the road. But injuries do need something to help at some times. But mm-hmm. for us, what we're really pushing is having the option of having the natural um, and you know cleaner and non-addictive way to recover, which is CBD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the thing that's been tough is working through that gray area, right? Um, because you know there's some there's some teams that you talk to and they're like yeah absolutely that's awesome we love CBD and then there's some teams who are like absolutely not that's weed it's bad Um, and so it's interesting seeing that but you know as it's switching now um, you know there's more there's more science involved in the recovery and the anti-inflammatory properties of CBD and just marijuana in general Um, I, I think I think athletes need to have that healthy alternative um like even this week seeing the the american olympian sprinter who can't uh you know she can't compete in the olympics because she smoked a joint like that's just that oh that bugs me so much it's it's really makes my skin crawl that there's there's people out there who these people aren't necessarily athletes they may have been at some point in their life but they're not there there are people who are deciding what the world's top athletes can put in their body Which doesn't make sense to me i I don't i don't understand that it's just not logical Mm -hmm. um if you're a top athlete in the world you're obviously very aware of what you're putting in your body and what you like you know everyone has their own vessel which is their body and what works for me might not work for you and you know everybody else in the world there's you know everyone finds their recipe for success and we're trying to make a healthier alternative part of that recipe for athletes everywhere because you know there there, there's science behind anti-inflammatory properties in the marijuana plants and it's you know it's evolving every single day you hear Mm -hmm. different good things coming out of it and there's also the science behind all the addictive properties that opioids have as well and I, I just I guess I don't I really don't understand why the science of Good things from the marijuana plant and bad things from all these opioids that you can have. You know, we know that they can lead to addictions. We've we've read books of guys who, you know, have been prescribed these things and get cut off. And, you know, they turn to cocaine. They turn to all kinds of different addictive drugs that just numb you. But th- there just seems to be a very slow movement towards it. Which I think it's flabbergasting that it's, but anyways, that's that <laughs> I can go on a rant for that. No. So, but uh, but yeah, it's uh that that's essentially what our, our, our whole target was, right? Is to just give athletes a natural way to recover, the option of a natural way to recover. You know? Yeah.
0: No, that, that's huge, and no, I, I was enjoying. I was very interested in that, right? Where that's what the podcast is about. That's what's, what makes it interesting, right? When someone tunes in, it's not always going to be oh, I went to school. I was an intern in one, two, three. Now I'm a director, right? That's the interesting part of it, right? Where there's, you know, dips, turns, slumps, as some are. And then also just, you know, revelations, right? With, you know, earlier, you kind of touching on how, you know, you, you're kind of going through the list of your injuries, right? 22, um, with shoulder and fingers and the impressions, yeah. all the different sort of things like that. And, I don't know if I can say this per se, but maybe that kind of led to to where it is now where you're injured so much and you had so many different types of recovery that it kind of led to the CBD business. You're like, Hey, like this needs to change. Right. And that's maybe why you're so passionate about it. Right. Cause you were in those situations. Right. So it's, it's part of your route. That's what makes it so interesting. But yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and Basically, that's how I how I became to it. Right? It was my first year pro in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend or a teammate, uh, Scooter Vaughn, who um, he, he had kind of introduced me to CBD, you know, like I'd smoked joints before, obviously, um, but like I had never really used it in a, a medical way. I, I guess, guess. So It was more like, OK, it's Saturday night to smoke a joint with some friends. Um, whereas he introduced me in a way where it was cream and stuff to help with anxiety. And stuff to to help with you know all the the good things the good properties that they have, um, and it was also sort of one of those things where I I, I wanted to get going, get mm-hmm. my foot into life after hockey as well. Um, you know I, I didn't think that our company would have kind of exploded the way it has this early, um, but it's uh, it, it really was a thing where I wanted to sort of adjust myself back into the working world because you know I, I i i usually come home and i'll you know get a bartending job or um work as a, a hockey school just sort of you know make a few a few thousand dollars for the summer just to keep me afloat um mm-hmm. but i really hadn't been in the business world since i started playing hockey since i graduated and it, it, it's interesting to see the growing pains right there's there's sometimes where um, I, I, quite frankly, I, I'm a little bit lost to, to be honest with you, but yeah. it's one of those things where it's important to refresh yourself and set yourself up because the reality is that, you know, I, I probably won't be able to play hockey past 35 or 40, just in terms of, you know, your body, mm-hmm. you know, unless I'm Yarmir Yager still playing at, you know, 74, probably. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like it, it's, you have to set yourself up. You have to give yourself an opportunity to grow and i wanted to do that while i was still playing so i wasn't just going to be completely shell-shocked um you know when i retired and just be like okay like how do i use microsoft excel what's an email type thing you know mm-hmm. um and it, it has been tough at some times but definitely ultimately beneficial for sure and one of the things you mentioned
0: there that kind of like struck a chord with me right is you know I started a business as well, White Wheel of Got yeah. um, <laughs> Quick plug. But um, it, it, the thing that you said was so interesting, right, is, and even kind of going back to uh, your, the initial founder, right, We were saying where he thought it was a quick, you know, get rich scheme, right, and it didn't happen. Then he's like, oh, I, I'm out, right? And I find that's one of the things where even myself, right, where, you know, I, I took a few months creating a business plan, kind of planning it out and kind of having a strategy about it. And I thought I was pretty like even keel about what my targets were and different things like that. But you know, the, there's ups and downs and everything. Right. And then there's definitely times you, you hit a wall and you're like, Oh man, I like, I don't know what to do. Right. Like you're like, do I pivot? Do I just like continue pushing? And I mean, that's the kind of the interesting side of business, right. Where sometimes you don't know how much longer you got to go at a certain process before it strikes a chord and you know, you guys start, you know, hitting your stride or, Sometimes you know you you think you know what you're doing, but you're kind of just learning as on as you go. And in two years, you're like, well, I had no idea what I was doing then, right?" So I definitely, find <laughs> idea do we're doing ever. We're really- yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
1: to <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. And like to be honest, even uh, maybe you can touch on this in, as well. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening are probably um, you know students, current students at the end of their academic career, just got out under 30 I'd say and I don't know if people listening can connect to this but you know I was always in the mindset of okay I'm going to go to school go to you know business school etc get a degree get a good job and because I have the degree I'm going to know everything and I'm going to get this job and you know I'm going to be a smart guy I'm going to climb through the ranks etc but what I found was even though I enjoyed my degree degree, and I'm sure I learned a lot of great stuff once I actually got to marketing jobs um, after you know school there was a lot of learning, right? Where it's hey, everything you learn in school isn't necessarily applicable, right? A lot of it is kind of hey, figure it out. And I was trying to get into sports at the time as well, right? Where um a lot of the times are like, hey, hey, Chris, figure it out. That's all it really was, right? Where it's I think a lot of what it is, whether it's business or even life, it's just um, learning as you go, right? No one really knows everything, but you
1: you'll you'll gain that knowledge as you go. Absolutely. I mean, for me, so I went to Clarkson, obviously, like I said, mm-hmm. when I committed to Clarkson, I was 16, I was young. I committed entirely because of hockey. Mm-hmm. Entirely. I didn't like I didn't even read anything about the school. Basically, it was an engineering school, not a math guy. I don't know if I could pass the ninth grade math class right now. Um sure. I ended up I changed majors I think seven times. Wow. Including like including my last change of major was a week before I graduated because there was a class called econometrics, which is just in my mind the most outrageous class in the world. But it's basically like this happens in the market and there's this little dot on this, you know, thing that changes within like 0.00000001 um and i just couldn't figure it out and you know i took the class twice and like i you know there's some classes that i just breezed by i didn't have to study this class was going to tutors like three times a week and i think the best i got on an exam was like 36 percent wow and so i I had to just drop it because i was like i'm I'm not gonna graduate um so i dropped it, and then with my credits i just got a liberal arts degree and like basically in my mind short of you know you being a brain surgeon or you know a medical doctor or something just having that piece of paper just just shows that you have figured out how to you know accomplish something you've worked through something and you've accomplished it and i think that's really the big the big thing unless if you know it's obviously a specific specific or specific um job like that where you really need to be hands-on and learn you know like i don't I don't want the guy who's doing my shoulder surgery to be a liberal arts major for sure, but um, uh, you know, it's it's really just figuring out problems for the most part.
0: No, and I what you're just saying there about you know specific degrees or majors, I completely agree with you. Where um, obviously I also went to school, so let's take that with a grain of salt. Where I can't be like, hey, don't go to college because or university because obviously I did, but yeah. I, I agree unless you're like a lawyer doctor engineer i think yes you need those speci- what you learn in school is probably directly transferable to a job but i find business probably every other degree as well a lot of it you can learn on the job but i think what school is good for is it gets you in that creative problem solving mindset right where you have to go through all these calculus statistics analytics classes where it makes you kind of think you know, analytically, right? Where hey, you gotta get used to numbers or figuring out, you know, missing variables, different stuff like that. Where I know the probably the biggest thing that I've noticed since when I started school way back and then kinda ended it, was my my thought process or even like my maturity, right? Where you kind of matured and understand, okay, this is how things run, you know, one, two, three. And like you said, you're you're showing that you can complete something, right? Where, you know, People know if you were in school, you had a tough exam, you had a tough prof, you had that course that you couldn't just cruise through, right? So it's also just kind of showing that you kind of went through the rigors, right? And you can kind of get through it, right? Where it's an accomplishment of its own just to finish. Um, and and kind of building on that and kind of maybe ending the, the podcast a bit here, um, before I kind of get into the questions that I, I like to ask at the end, which are pretty broad, do you remember what your seven major changes were?
1: um okay so i went in like i was seven majors including a couple of double majors in there just because i was like "Ah, why not Um, i started in business and psychology Mm -hmm. and then about a month in i thought that psychology was just way too like it it was just so much memory work and i just didn't want to do it so i dropped to just business Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my first change to my second major then I went back to then I just went for um, communications mm-hmm. um, and then from communications I think I went to business and communications for a double major yeah. and then so I was in the business sector had supply chain management um, entrepreneurship and finance I started in supply chain, and then I switched to to uh, entrepreneurship. So I was entrepreneur and communications for my fourth change. And then I went just to business again. Mm-hmm. And then I went back. No, I went no, I went to communications, and then I went back to business. And mm-hmm. then it was the econometrics class that really threw me a loop in my last two years. I was like, ah, no, I'm not doing this. So I just yeah. got the... The Bachelor of Arts degree, and I was like, All right, I'm out. Time to go play some sports. Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> no, yeah. That, that, that's wild, right? You, you must have been changing almost every semester. right? Where the academic officer, like, Hey, hey, Kevin, welcome. Yeah, back. my academic officer, okay, Nice to see you again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> has, it, has it been a semester? Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, no, that, that's good stuff. Um, and there's kind of two questions I like to ask at the end, they're kind of pretty broad. The first one is, Let's say, you're 103 right that, that's the go-to age in my head because i think i'm living to 103 and you're in rock you're just cruising right and you're looking back and you're just thinking about your your career right what's a moment in your career or route i should say shout out the route that kind of sticks out to you where you're like wow i can't believe i got to live that whether it's you know living in Innsbruck and you know seeing the mountains or a specific team or tournament or playoff run you guys were on or Maybe even with a business or school, what moment in time do you think so far in your life is going to stick out to you when you're 103?
1: I don't know if I could just cut that down to one. I can definitely think of three good ones. Um, One is just being able to experience Europe. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's really a privilege to be able to, you know, I've played, I've been able to, I think it's a visit like close to 15 countries now, mostly through hockey. Um, I've scored a professional goal in five different countries. Um, I, I personally think that that's, that's pretty awesome. And, you know, I haven't scored one in Slovakia yet, so it'll be six. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a second one would be, um, playing in Toledo. We made it to the finals one year and it like incredible. Um, we didn't win in the finals, unfortunately, but we had like it, it, it rivaled any sports game ever in terms of fan. Fans, obviously it was only nine thousand because that's what the building could hold. But when we came down, we were down two nothing in the series and came back to Toledo and we were up, I think it was three, two with like four or five minutes left. It was absolutely deafening. It was a complete whiteout. And I couldn't like if there was someone sitting right here, I could talk to them and they I'd have to scream at them because they wouldn't hear me. It. it was it was just surreal. Like there was there's nothing better there was no better one-time experience in terms of sport in my life um and then the third would be just a little bit of a a shell shock starstruck moment was my first year pro like i said i played in chicago um i had a two-on-two my d partner was joel edmondson um and the two-on-two that i was against was panarin and kane oh wow and so eddie eddie Kane to the corner on his backhand, like he was he was basically on the goal line on his backhand. And I had Panarin, you know, within a stick length of me. And Kane just turns around and throws a backhand sauce. And my like, like I said, Panarin is right in front of me. Like I got him. The puck lands like this far from his stick and he just steps into a one timer and it goes bar down. And I just turn and I looked, I'm like, there there was nothing that I could do here. Like short of guy, like that is like, that was just my, that was my one experience of, oh my God, like this is how good these guys are. Mm -hmm. Like we were both in these spaces, Perfect gap. Wasn't good enough. (laughs) Like Wasn't good enough. So I would Mm -hmm. say that those three moments, just very much different capacities are, you know, some of the highlights. It's weird to say that a goal against in an exhibition game is a highlight of my career, but um, just a, a really cool time where, I you know I saw something I I was a part of something that was just amazing like just amazing sports moment like it was it was cool for sure for sure
0: no and do you still have that St Louis jersey did you were you able to keep it
1: I actually wasn't because they don't they don't let you keep camp jerseys okay um, unfortunately but I do even have the, uh, I do have pro jerseys even the the preseason jersey no. No. Yeah. They don't even, they don't, no, it wasn't like it was, again, it was my first year pro. I didn't know that that was a thing. So I didn't really ask, but no, unfortunately I don't. Ah, fair enough.
0: That's still what, what a moment, right? Playing against, you know, Kane and Panarin, you know, sharing ice with them and even Edmondson right in the, in the finals now. So very cool. And then the last question I have is let's say we're kind of go back in time, speak to a young Kevin, or even if you were to maybe walk into Clarkson or you Ottawa and, you know, speak to a group of, what is it, first year, I think, 18-year-olds, something like that. What advice, let's go one advice for career and one advice for life. What would you say, whether it's young Kevin or
1: a student now? Definitely be patient with yourself. I mean, you know, obviously through the injuries I've had, um, you know, the the growing pains I've had, the... You know surgeries the the stitches the ups and downs of your career mm-hmm. um you, know, you, you have you have times in your career where i've had times in my career where i quite frankly just wanted to hang him up mm-hmm. um i just said you know enough's enough whatever i'll just go get a real job just super pissed off like it, it, it's i've really learned over time that it's really a part of the journey mm-hmm. rather than just a means to an end you know i i i every single game i would look back and be like why am i not in the nhl yet why am i not in the nhl yet rather than looking at myself and being like you know what i'm not in the nhl but i i am extremely privileged to be able to play a sport for a living i mean you know short of the cbd company i i really haven't had like a real job in my life that i've had to you know take care of before this past year and a half um you know like obviously I'm not saying that bartending or anything like that was a real job, but for me it wasn't because the way I was working is I would work one shift every week. Like it, like, it wasn't like I had a job. I just, you know, I had a friend who was a manager who would let me come bartend. Um, It wasn't anything I got held accountable for. So being patient with yourself and also being forgiven. um, You know, I I look back at some of the the things that I regret over my career, some of the decisions I've made um, and I've definitely made some bad decisions over my career. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody does, but there were, there were a lot of times where I really guilted myself into that and it just led me into a downward spiral a little bit. And, you know, instead of, you know, a, a, a good, some good verbiage that I like to go towards now. And I, I, I try to remind myself, you know, I still, I still feel bad sometimes. I still feel guilty sometimes about bad decisions, but I can catch myself and forgive myself. And I, the way I try to look at things now is mm-hmm. instead of saying, you know, today I have to work out. I have to do this. I have to do that. The way I try to look at it is today I get to do this. I get to work out. I get to go skate even because days aren't always fun. It's not always fun going to practice five days in a row and, you know, blocking a shot. Like you love winning, you love playing a sport, but there are definitely some, some bad things that happen over your career. That's just, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. That's just, that's just life. Mm -hmm. Um, Not every day is supposed to be a terrific day. Um, and so definitely being more forgiving to myself in my career and in my life has been something that's definitely helped me change for the better. Yeah, no, that's
0: great advice. I'm even going to take away myself because I'm sure, you know, even just with, you know, starting a business or working in a business or even probably in hockey, right, where oftentimes I find people are probably the hardest on themselves than anyone else can be, right? So you're like, hey, like, why aren't you – working out more? Why aren't you being more productive with the business? You know, different things like that. And it's almost, I was reading this book and I was just saying how that like puts you in a, a, negative sense when you're trying to say you're not doing enough, right? Yeah. Rather than just acknowledging, Hey, I'm not doing enough today. And you know, that's okay. Cause I know that I'm not and tomorrow. I will. Right. And that's almost the better thing when you just say out loud that, Hey, like it's being forgiving what you're saying. Right. Okay. I understand I'm, I'm not skating or I'm not, you know, doing enough for work today, but you know, tomorrow will be better. Right. So that, that's definitely some, some great advice. I think a young Kevin, a current Chris and, you know, future students will also take away that uh, they'll, they'll write down in their notebook. So that, that, that was fantastic. If, unless there's anything else you'd like to share what's 51 minutes times flown by, at least for me. And uh, yeah, this
1: was amazing. Thank you for coming on Thank you very much. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, I think i've covered just about everything you know it's just like i said being patient being forgiven keep working hard is the, the the ultimate thing work hard be punctual and just be a, a nice person those those are kind of like things that i've just kind of tried to do over the last few years more intensively and mm-hmm. it's led to more success for sure and you know now i'm on a podcast like this for doing pretty cool things and uh, i just thank you for bringing me on i really appreciate it
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Anytime. And uh, I love chatting with you. And the last thing I will say is um, when I started this podcast, it was just kind of, you know, grow my network, meet with people, you know, beyond Ottawa, or even people like you in Ottawa or close by. And, you know, I was always thinking when, you know, interviewing all these people from all these different backgrounds to get some crazy advice at the end for, you know, myself and the listeners to kind of take away with. But I think the most constant advice that everyone's giving and, Clearly, if so many people say it, you got to take it to heart and it's just everyone says just be a nice person because I guess people aren't nice. Anyway. Right. It it, it, it's crazy how far, like how long just being genuine or just being where you should be. Right. Just be nice. And they say how much how far I can go. So that's definitely cool. But um, yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll chat again soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much and best of luck with all this. Yeah, thank you.